obscure Egyptian deity has recently taken Japanese pop culture by storm. This mysterious ghost-like marshmallow has even begun to supplant such ancient Egyptian heavyweights as Isis and Osiris in the popular imagination. A bedsheet with legs? A salt and pepper shaker? The question I have is, what is this thing and who does he think he is? So if you've been following this podcast, you know that I come from a game design and gaming background, and I follow a lot of games. And uh, this last spring, I was following a game called Ankh, Gods of Egypt by Simon Games. That's essentially a last man standing of ancient Egyptian mythology. You're fighting to become the last god as Egypt is gradually switching from polytheism to monotheism. And as they were releasing these Kickstarter exclusives, like they, they released Capri and Wadjet and Neckbet, and we're all excited about who the next figure they're going to reveal is going to be. And they released one called Medjed, which looked really out of place in the line of Egyptian gods. And somebody said, you know, this, this, there's something weird about this figure. And Simon responded and said, you should see what the ancient you know, Egyptian version of it looked like it's, it's, it looks a lot weirder than anything we could have come up with. So I started Googling around and I found these uh, papyri that showed this really weird figure on it. And uh, I thought it had to be a hoax. It had to be a hoax. And I looked more and more into it until I finally actually saw the papyrus and realized it wasn't a hoax. And uh, it turns out that this Egyptologist from Florence, Italy, uh, Elardia Caridi, was faced with a similar perplexing problem when a friend reached out to her about Medjed. Well, she sent me a picture of a strange being from what appeared to be an Egyptian papyrus, probably a book of the dead, saying that it was from a Japanese thread on a Japanese forum where lots of people were suddenly incredibly interested in it and were asking frantically, what was that? What did this creature mean what did it represent really i had never seen anything like that i was a bit ashamed of admit, admitting it and in the meanwhile another colleague was super convinced that it was some kind of hoax as mm -hmm. as you said steven he says he said to me it's a kind of photoshop drawing it must be that it looks nothing like any other creature in you know represented in anything Egyptian that I've ever seen. It looks like a Pac-Man ghost. Or a Humpty Dumpty, something mm -hmm. like that, a salt and pepper container with legs, or, you know, some sort of ghost under a sheet, the uh -huh. cheapest uh, Halloween costume ever, something like that. You're not alone in thinking that this is very strange. As I've said, it's not just me, but other prominent Egyptologists had never seen anything like that. What are we What are we looking at right here? Um, where is this from, this picture that we're seeing right here? First of all, this original picture is not an oaks at all. On the contrary, it's part of a famous, very famous papyrus of the Book of the Dead. It is called nowadays the Greenfield Papyrus from the British Museum. His accession number is BMEA 10554, which is one of the longest and the most beautifully illustrated manuscripts of the Book of the Dead to have survived. Originally, it was 
over 37 meters in length, which should be around 122 feet. So it is now cut into 96 separate sheets mounted between glass. And only a pair of them are usually on display in the Egyptian galleries of the uh, British Museum and not the one with magic. This manuscript was made for a priestess of a moon named Nezitanebeti Shirum, the daughter of the high priest of a moon, Pinajan II. As a member of the ruling elite of Thebes, she was provided with funerary equipment of very high quality. Well, even our priestess seems to be taken aback by these creatures, <laughs> doesn't she? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she, she's like, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> yes, she's a bit taken aback. What is this? Uh, when in doubt, adore it. <laughs> the whole vignette with the seated gods, the birds, etc. illustrates spell number 17 of the Book of the Dead, which is one of the longest and most important and so the most frequently included spells in the Book of the Dead. In his edition of the papyrus, Pudge explains all the figures mentioned in the spell and then depicted in the vignette, concluding that this conical figure with human eyes and feet is called Medjed. A few years ago, my mother-in-law gave me a copy of the Book of the Dead, and I really? didn't, yes, and this is before I worked at the OI, I didn't know what it was. I picked it up, I looked at the illustrations, I looked at the picture, and I didn't know where, I didn't, I didn't know what to do with it. So how would a lay person like me a few years ago, you know, who has a book of the dead, how would they make sense of it? You know, how should you? This is not a book in our modern sense of the world, as it was not a singular work, a single edition, so to speak, copied down the centuries, like a medieval manuscript or something like that. And neither it was a book in the narrative sense of the word. We should rather call it a collection of many spells from different sources and for different purposes. The Book of the Dead was a sort of a customized instruction manual for achieving the resurrection and the state of ah, of the luminous spirit. But if you prefer, it was something like a lonely planet guide, uh, you know, to the afterlife, listing all of its places and perils that the deceased must be aware of in order to have a safe transition to the duat, to the Egyptian netherworld. And as the Lonely Planet guides, it was often a richly illustrated manual uh, with the visual apparatus of what we call vignettes, illustrating key moments of this journey, the gods, the benevolent, malevolent entities that the deceased could run into, depicting in tiny details all of this mystical geography of the land that loves silence, one of the other names of the netherworld in, in the Egyptian text. So in the, the land that loves lost sound? silence, <laughs> or the silent land, or the garden of the silent one. Okay, but who is Majid? Let's have a look at the text of spell number 17 of the Book of the Dead. Here we have a prayer to Re, the sun god. Save me from that god whose shape is secret. 
Save me from those who deal wounds, the slayers whose fingers are sharp, who deal out pain, who decapitate those who follow after Osiris. They shall not have power over me, and I will not fall into their cauldrons. Their knives shall not have power over me. I will not fall into their cauldrons, because I know them, I know their names, I know the name of that Medjet among them who belongs to the house of Osiris, who shoots with his eye, yet he is unseen. The sky is encircled with the fiery blast of his mouth, and he heralds the Nile inundation, and yet he is unseen. Wow. What- That's some real Lord of the Rings, Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. you know, high <laughs> it's fantasy. It's perfect for a board game. Yeah. Tell us about this. We're looking at a sort of prayer that the deceased pronounced to the sun god Ray to be saved from the terrible beings that populate the netherworld. The obstacles that the righteous man must be able to overcome in order to reach the destination of his journey. The highest desire that every Egyptian or at least every religious Egyptian should have to see the gods, to dwell with them, to be able to converse with them and to unite with them. And here the spell says that these terrifying creatures have no power over him because he knows their names and he knows their powers. So, well, now we too know the name of our creature, who we conventionally pronounce Medjed because the Egyptian language only recorded consonants and not vowels. And so to be able to pronounce these three consonants together, Medjed, we must add something in between and we conventionally add a vowel E. This, I want to read this, this uh, phrase again. I know the name of that Medjed who is with them in the house of Osiris. The house of Osiris, is that the realm of the gods? Probably or probably the entourage of Osiris. Okay. Of course, mm. the house of Osiris is the whole netherworld, the whole duat, but right. it's difficult to you know understand what precisely did they mean with these uh, words. Who shoots with his eye without being seen, who rings the sky with the flame of his mouth, who announces the Nile flood without being seen. This is referring to Medjed or to Osiris? No, it refers to Medjed, exactly. This name, Medjed, is actually a participle of a verb, which means to smite, to strike. In fact, it has the determinative, which is the last sign of the word. I don't know if you can see my cursor. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. The last sign of the word is called a determinative or a classifier is a sign that you don't read, but it serves the purpose of highlighting to which category, ontological category, the word belongs to. And in this case, we have an arm with a stick. So it belongs to the category of violent, aggressive or strong actions. And in fact, the word means, uh, as we say, to smite, to strike. So our uh, little ghost is a smiter. Is, uh, <laughs> he shoots with his eye and he spits fire from its mouth. I can see any mouth, but it's okay. 
and yet he is invisible, he is unseen. Here we can start to maybe draw some conclusions about mm, this is an enigmatic form, shapeless, maybe it has to do with the fact that he is invisible mm, well but it's a bit it's a bit early for conclusions i think but for now we know that this is a very dangerous being a powerful creature a protector of this house of osiris but he can do no harm to those who possess the secret knowledge contained in the book of the dead so if you know the name no harm can come to you but if you don't know the name it can smite you with fire or some other unpleasant thing. Is that about right? It, it sounds kind of like uh, what we think of as demons. Um, like, do you think Medjed would be considered a demon in the ancient world? Or were there figures that were in the ancient Egyptian world that were like demons or? The vignettes, these illustrations of the Book of the Dead mm. are populated with a high number of supernatural beings in a huge variability of forms. And the exact nature of some of them still poses a dilemma to Egyptologists to the present day. We have thought, we have Anubis, those main deities in quotation marks. It's important to say that because we have no clear hierarchy of major and minor gods in the ancient Egyptian pantheon. And what we may consider a minor god may be the saint patron of a certain city so to speak. So it's difficult to call them main deities or minor deities. But a variety of other inhabitants, supernatural inhabitants of the netherworld, also, also mentioned and depicted in the Book of the Dead, um, seems to gravitate around these main figures. This is the plethora of creatures that have been called in Egyptology as minor gods, genies, or demons, more often demons. But we have a problem with this. There's no ancient Egyptian term that corresponds even approximately to our word demon. Uh, those creatures were simply called natural gods. Like Osiris and Isis and Anubis, Osiris is a nature and uh, Majid is a nature too. We could differentiate those entities as those who did not have a proper cult in temples, for example, and who do, did not appear in mythological narrations. And also, uh, it is to be said that these beings do not have a universal power, but have a specific sphere of action and a range of magic circumcised to, you know, a specific place or a role that they play in the netherworld. So Medjed, the silent smiter, it sounds like he's not like the cause of a disease or anything, but would he be more comparable to the evil that lives in men's hearts or are we talking like he's more of a guardian that people have to get through in the underworld? I've never seen it attached to any emotion or any, you know, other demons are more clearly associated with illnesses and plague. I think this could be just one of the guardian demons because, you know, you have to say that you know his name, know his role in order to overcome it. The Egyptian conception of the netherworld included many gates, portals, pylons, doors, which must be passed by the deceased to reach the place of his final rest, of 
the blessed eternal existence in the company of the gods. And these passages are always watched over by these liminal entities that are usually defined in the text as sautiu, which means exactly guardians. Those guardians are depicted in frightening forms as reptiles, felines, dogs, jackals, baboons, donkeys, hippos, birds, insects, scorpions, and every other terrible being that could be, and all kinds of birds, and are often armed with knives, or also they can have snakes in their hand or upturned lizards as to ward off those who do not possess this secret knowledge contained in the Book of the Dead. So of all the other demons and figures like this, nothing that we've seen looks like Medjet at all. Why is it that such a unique figure is uh, only mentioned in this one occasion? Are there other places where it pops up as well? There are more places. Oh, there are more. Yeah, there are more. We have more magids that I can't wait to show you. And But always in the Book of the Dead, even though the Book of the Dead could be depicted not only on papyri, but also on the walls of a tomb or on coffins or on amulets, magid has never been depicted on any walls, on any other object other than papyri. In the present state of our knowledge, amongst the thousands of Book of the Dead papyri that have come down to us, Majid is present in the illustrations of only nine papyri. When did Majid appear within Egyptian history? Is there a particular period that Medjet appeared in and then didn't, or...? And they all belong to specific time frame, the so-called third intermediate period of the history of Egypt, and especially to, until the 21st and the 22nd dynasties. Uh, can you spot Medjet here? I can spot Medjet. It nice. looks like a marshmallow. Like he's wearing a sweater or something tied around his... What is that? <laughs> yeah, it's a sort of a belt. We'll see it on the other examples, but it's a bit puzzling. <gasps> this is um, papyrus from the Bodmer collection in Geneva. And then number two from the same collection. And this, there is Majid again. And then we have this little fragment of papyrus. Now it's a longer roll, but it's in, not in perfect condition from Turin, number 1818 of Nezihans. And here we have a very, very cursive medjid. You, if you weren't searching for it, I think you could, it's difficult to spot, spot it. And from now on, we have the papyri whose dating is more secure. So this is another papyrus from the Bodmer collection, so they are very lucky. They have three magids out of nine. And here it is very funny with this kind of red knotted strip of cloth over his eyes and not under. And this papyrus is dated to the middle of the 21st dynasty, so it's a bit more precise. Then we have this other one, which looks like the first three that we've seen. Here we have just a very bad photo of this 
fatty medjet is a bit more rounded and also the, the scene of the Book of the Dead is very shortened down. There are, we have only two other gods, seated gods, while we have more of them in the other examples. Then we have this very nice specimen from Cairo too. Here it really looks like Humpty Dumpty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, this is from the late 21st dynasty. Then we have this other specimen from Cairo, which I really love. And it, that's why I said that these manuscripts are often illuminated with red if they're not polychrome and they're monochrome with red accents. And here we, the human legs are in red, like human figures, human male figures are. In the end, we have our Greenfield papyrus. When surprise, we have actually two magids. So, well, now you've seen, I think, that not all medjets were created equal. Medjet appears now in this <laughs> particular period, in the third intermediate period, but not before and not after. That's right. Why, Why now? Uh, yes, it seems to be an innovation exclusive to this period. Uh, to be clear, the creature was mentioned in the text of the spell that we've read together, but it was never illustrated until this short period of time, and it will fall out of favor after the 22nd dynasty. The 21st and 22nd dynasties are outstandingly rich as far as funerary iconography is concerned, on both papyri and coffins alike. This is a detail of how detailed these type of coffins are. And this is an, uh, these are two examples, uh, something from my hometown, uh, two coffins from the entourage of the high priests of a moon, a chantress and a scribe, now hosted in the Archaeological Museum of Florence, all dating to the 21st dynasty. The third intermediate period coffins, and especially the 21st dynasty ones, are easily recognized because they are literally covered from head to toe with religious texts and vignettes with the deceased in front of the gods, demons and places in the netherworld, giving off some sort of horror vacui vibes. No space was left blank. So is this just a stylistic feature of the period? Well, not exactly, because the third intermediate period of Egyptian history after the new kingdom, of the, the end of the new kingdom, was one of a bit of decline and political instability. It, it's the same period of the late Bronze Age collapse of civilization in the, in the ancient Near East and ancient Mediterranean. It's the same period that includes the Greek so-called Dark Ages. It was marked by the division of the state for much of the period between the high priest of the Omun in the south, the dead of our Nezitanebeti Sheru, and the proper pharaohs in the north. And so there was a lot of civil conflict. In this period, the custom of decorating private tombs declined dramatically, especially in Thebes. Due to worsening economical conditions, they have no money to, you know, lavishly decorate the walls of the tomb or having big tombs with lots of funerary equipment, but also as a means to decrease the chances of visibilities and so of robberies of the tombs themselves. 
in a time when the crown, the central power, was not so stable and had lost some control over the country, leading to some dramatic cuts, for example, to the police service in the necropolis. So you didn't want to attract attention to your tomb. Because of this, coffins and papyri became the sole carriers of all of the religious material needed for the journey through afterlife. And because of that, though the crisis generally shortened the papyri, the papyri of the third intermediate period are usually much shorter than the ones before, but the quality was unaffected because the scribes found some creative ways to outflank this issue and at the same time to adapt the Book of the Dead context to these new circumstances. For example, a strategy is what we call the pars pro toto rule, which is choosing only one key feature of the spell or the vignette that could work as a surrogate for the extended version. But also they could replace long texts with, texts with just a vignette. Uh, in fact, some of the papyri with Medjet that we see, you know, some of those nine papyri, have the vignettes of the spell number 17 of the Book of the Dead, but they do not have the text. They have just the vignettes. For the inherent magic, as you may know, of the image in a, the ancient Egyptian system of belief, for the performative principle of the magic of images, an image could be effective and could evoke and create the reality that it depicts, even without the necessity of writing down or pronouncing a spell aloud, the vignettes could be sufficient in themselves. The vignettes are no mere decorative elements, but they transmit the content of a spell in a very condensed form. Some chapters of the Book of the Dead was thus just represented by their vignettes, and this in turn led to a major development of these vignettes, because they were entrusted to the with the responsibility to, you know, delivering alone all of the significance and magic power of the whole spell. And so those vignettes became more complex, more sophisticated, and new motives were created, represented syncretic, more recent conception. So there are lots of novelties in the Book of the Dead, in the visual apparatus of the Book of the Dead in this period. And I think that the appearance of Majid works perfectly in this framework. There's also another, um, you know, possible answer to your question, why now, why especially in this period? Because we have a increase of popularity at the end of the New Kingdom of the issue of the dangerousness of the netherworld, with the idea of punishment in the netherworld, of the divine wrath that could arm the deceased or be turned against enemies. And it could be a reflection, I think, of the difficult times that Egypt was going through. You have this really elaborate, ornamented period that you're talking about where there's wrath and punishment and uh, in the middle of it all you have this really plain figure that looks like it's underneath the sheet so if you're the in this in this I, I'm going to say like baroque period of Egypt 
um, though that's an anachronism. Why do what was the, is the artist thinking who creates Medjet or who writes him down for the first time? Is there is it a, like is it a ghost? Does the sheet represent invisibility? What's going on there? Is the artist? I think you are on the right track, but of course it is difficult to say with certainty after you know thousands of years. What did the ancient Egyptian artist want to portray with such a enigmatic iconography devoid of weapons or clear attributes and all of the characteristic of dangerousness that are described in the text of the spell and are also typical of the notion of demon that we discussed later on. Egyptologists always say that demons have all clear attributes because the deceased must be able to recognize them when he sees them and so uh, give, give them the right names, etc. Why this doesn't happen with magic? The majority of um, scholars, though this was mentioned just in passing in academic literature, but the majority of scholars such as Baj and Mild and Nikola Trasenko have reinterpreted the white part of the figure as a cover or as a shapeless body altogether, connected, as you were saying, with the description of the demon as invisible. This, in fact, could be, I think, a um, way to draw the impossible, an unimaginable and, of course, unperceivable being. And this aspect seemed to be more prominent in the Greenfield papyrus. Eyes and legs of the creature signifies its ability to see, move, and act, even though humans cannot perceive him. In fact, iconography of these liminal entities, as Lucarelli elucidates again, do not so much characterize what these demons are, but what they do. So that's why the eyes and the legs. But um, Bernard Bruyere, as early as 1937, and after him, Terence Duquesne, saw the matter quite differently. They described Majed as an ovoid jar with legs, perhaps a personification of a vessel for sacred oils. How does the vessel with sacred oils figure into this? I think that this could you know, some, somehow explain the upper red band on the most ancient example as a fastening for a lid. See this example from the Metropolitan Museum of a sealed jug with a strip of cloth over it. Why should a smiter be associated with ancient oils? Uh, that's a bit a tricky part and we would have to browse through lexica and vocabularies to figure it out and moreover scholarly opinions differ on this point. But to keep it simple, I can tell you that the penultimate sign of the word magic represents a cloth being pulled to between two suppers that could serve as a strainer, a filter, a sifter in the production of oil, wine and perfumes. And the meaning of the verb to press could also mean to squash these fruits to produce the liquid. There are several words in ancient Egyptian that could back up this theory. There's a sacred oil here in this representation uh, from 
Esna, from the temple of Esna, uh, where this deity, Shesmu, holds a vessel which is quite a bit similar to the ones that we've seen in the first most ancient depiction of Medjet. And this oil is called Medj. And a similar term, Medjet, means oil, anointment. And there's also the word Majet, that means wine measure. But it seems possible that later on the fastening could have misinterpreted or reinterpreted as a belt. It looks like the belts that queens or female, female goddesses or queens wear over their white clothes. It really seems like a knotted belt. And then so the body should be a cover, a sort of cover, leading to the unadorned and enigmatic Pharmacies in the Greenfield papyrus. There cannot, can, can be other explanations, other theories that I'm delving into that explore more the connection with other deities, Shasmo uh, and also Osiris, but I'm still working on it. But of course, if you are, there's a book of the dead specialist in uh, is listening to this podcast, or if you have any connection or ideas to explore, I'll be listening. Medjet disappears into obscurity and likely would have stayed there if it wasn't for a traveling exhibition that went to Japan and sparked interest, bringing him this new and bizarre afterlife. Between July and November of 2012, the Greenfield Papyrus was brought to Japan for the first time and was displayed for only the second time in its entirety, including the page with Medjet on it. Someone, or a group of people, visiting the exhibit Journey Through the Afterlife, the Ancient Egyptian Book of the Dead, became smitten by the smiter. And ever since the exhibition, the Japanese web has been flooded with multiple reinterpretations of this enigmatic creature. So now you can have fun with some comics of Medjid, all very accurate, as you can see. It's Osiris, and he shoots fire from his eyes, as the spell number 17 says. And then you can cuddle him, if you dare, of course. And also you can guide him through the perils of the netherworld in a series of video games. Also, it has become super popular because it was featured in a very famous mobile game, Fate Grand Order, where under the sheet, uh, the bed sheet, we have a very beautiful lady who is called Nitocris, like a female pharaoh who may have reigned over Egypt in the age of the pyramids in the Sixth Dynasty. And then, of course, it has been turned into a mascot, like everything else in Japan. And on the right, you can see that he's one of the protagonists of this anime, it's comic anime, which is called Kamigami no Ki, and that features uh, Egyptian deities. We have Bastet, we have Re in the shape of the falcon, we have Anubis, and of course we have Majid. What else? No Osiris, no Isis. They're too mainstream. The real star is Majid. And what is incredible is that in Japan, it has become one of the most popular deities, most commonly renowned gods of the Egyptian pantheon, such as Osiris or Anubis. Have a look at this manga that I have, which is called The Blue Eye of Horus. In Italian, it's just called The Queen of Egypt, which is a retelling of the story of Hatshepsut, the other great 
female pharaoh reigned in the 18th dynasty. And at the end of the volume, the author uh, needs to explain the pantheon of ancient Egypt. We have Isis, who is in love with Osiris, and there's Saturn, Horus, and of course, Medjed in the end. He's one of the most famous deities, and this is crazy for, I think, the European or American public who has never heard of it. And it's also crazy that, as we mentioned in the beginning, Egyptologists were not familiar with it, but nerds were. For over 100 years, the OI has been a leading research center for the study of ancient Middle Eastern civilizations. Join us in uncovering the past and learn about the beginnings of our lives as humans together. Become a member by visiting oi.uchicago.edu slash member.